0: quantum marketing radio the marketing podcast for insurance agents and financial professionals
1: welcome back quantum marketing radio listeners today we actually have a little uh, outside the box episode for you in that we actually have a compliance attorney on and you're probably wondering why the heck would we have a compliance attorney on a marketing podcast? Well, obviously in our industry, uh, compliance is a reality. And in order to effectively build your business, uh, we want to take into account how we balance compliance with effective marketing. And so that's the background story on why we actually have a compliance attorney on. Uh, I think you'll still find it a very interesting episode with some great advice and actionable items that you can take away. Uh, to help make sure you stay compliant with your marketing while still making that marketing work. So, uh, enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Quantum Marketing Radio. Today, we're actually going to have kind of an interesting conversation about all the regulatory changes going on in the industry with a special guest, Mark Ide He's actually ECA Marketing's General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer.
0: So welcome to the podcast, Mark. How are you doing today? Good, thanks for having me. I'm excited about the topic.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, it's, you're the guy to talk to, obviously, so <laughs> glad to have you here. Um, so let's just start off, you know, what's your background? How did you end up uh, becoming a,
0: a compliance attorney? Yeah, well, like with all positions, you know, there's the windows of opportunity that open up when they open up. Uh, I actually got into the securities industry in 1999, where I worked for an insurance-based broker-dealer in the package proc- products division, uh, processing mutual funds and variable annuities through the broker-dealer. Uh, from there, that led me right into an uh, operations supervision uh, position after I got my seven and 24, and I started signing off on the, the, the business itself, the business itself as principal. Uh, from there, I moved on to a, a wide variety of positions uh, throughout the, the securities compliance uh, arena in the Twin Cities. I worked for Dane Rauscher for a while. I did uh, okay. large-scale uh, compliance for at the uh, what they uh, termed complex audits. Okay. It was a complex of uh, different uh, buildings. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, not that they were complex in nature, <laughs> right, right? Right? An actual complex of structures. An actual complex of uh, yeah. So uh, agents working independently from their homes or at a, a large complex. Okay. Uh, I moved from there back into the insurance-based broker-dealer. Uh, moved to uh, U.S. Alliance Securities. I worked for them for a while. Okay. Uh, they became Questar. Yeah, might have heard of them. Uh, yeah, I actually have a
1: background working for Allianz. I was a wholesaler for uh, their Fixed Life and Annuity Division, so.
0: Right. All right. And so, uh, from there, I was given the opportunity to wear just about every hat and compliance that you can have, uh, including the ability to work on their RIA compliance program. Okay. Uh, from there, I was recruited over to Woodbury Financial, uh, where I became Chief Compliance Officer over their entire retail arm. Uh, they, we developed all different types of compliance programs on a code of ethics, the financial policy, financial planning policies and procedures, uh, they even implemented a brand new advisor wrap program, uh, so I got to build the compliance from the ground up as they built the product out uh, for the agents. Um, from there I moved into private practice, I did a general consulting firm, uh, but because of my background. Uh, dedicated to federally registered RIAs. I was able to help a lot of RIAs out with mock audits, uh, representation uh, in front of the SEC on their behalf when they felt that their CCO needed additional help with that process. Okay. Um, and and from there, uh, I developed a relationship with several different IMOs and was ultimately recruited to become uh, chief compliance officer and general counsel of uh, an IMO where I got to build out suitability guidelines and uh, general marketing uh, compliance policies and procedures for the IMO itself okay which led, led me to hear led you to hear so yeah
1: you've been around for a while and in, uh, in all different aspects of the financial compliance world basically not just the insurance side of it right so um, So obviously with the DOL on everybody's mind um, in your role as General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer here at ECA Marketing, what is your focus right now? Is it DOL? Is it certain aspects of DOL? I guess you you kind of let us know where you're, what's uh, important right now that you're working on?
0: Yeah, the main focus is compliance with the fiduciary rule and how we're going to comply uh, with the best interest contract exemption under that rule.
1: So that's obviously keeping you busy with all the different possible avenues this could take and is taking.
0: Right. We're still uh, in somewhat of a wait-and-see mode as we continue to wait for the Department of Labor to approve uh, IMOs to have financial institution status. We don't know yet what that will ultimately look like. So although we're aware of what the rules are for other financial institutions, we don't know what the rules will be for us. So in part of your preparation
1: for having ECA, you know, all our ducks in a row and everything ready for agents to do business post April, um, obviously you're having to do contingency planning for any, all the different possibilities. And which obviously I'm assuming that's keeping you very busy because it's, we don't have a definitive, path so you have to really prepare for multiple paths for
0: for uh, agents to comply that's correct while looking at multiple contingency plans but not yet building the ultimate plan right because of the fact that we don't want to you know obviously go down to go down the wrong path path. right right Um, but there are many things we know we're going to have to do so we are we are at a minimum once per week reviewing some type of diligence software some type of software that will help the agent analyze the client and prove that they've done diligence in the review in the recommendation of the fixed index annuity product
1: okay and is that part of this um, BIC is that or where where does that software fit in is that on all parts of the
0: compliance or you, I guess you answer that no so the And to operate under the best interest contract exemption, you have to act prudently as an advisor. If if any institution is going to take over a national scale review of agents that have to comply with such a high legal standard, you have to have some mechanism of proving that the diligence was completed. We feel that technology solutions are available or are becoming available that can help pr- prove that the diligence was completed. Okay. So that's why we're reviewing several different competitors uh, to determine what which of the financial review anal, analyst analytical software platforms would, that platforms would best meet and be easiest for the agents to use and we don't believe one size fits all so we want to probably have more than one that's approved. I suppose because there are a lot of different flavors of advisors
1: some that are insurance only some that are both securities and insurance licensed. That's exactly right and
0: we've found software that is exceptionally uh, well suited for the the IAR Mm -hmm. uh, type of advisor and some that are much better suited for an insurance only agent. Okay. Uh, And and we're looking at both of those to approve for our platform, one of which already has a signed letter from an outside uh, attorney group that believes the software is already compliant with the standards of the best interest contract exemption. Okay, so great. Um, Anything else that you wanted to bring up
1: that you're focusing on, I guess, in in your current capacity? software technology solution, I mean, obviously looking at all the different, um, exploring all the different possible contingencies and making sure that
0: uh, we've got progress on the things that are known. And So we're continuing to work directly with the Department of Labor. Uh, we may have um, been doing periodic phone calls, including a phone call just yesterday, to in, know exactly where uh, they're at at any given time. So that, that's something that we feel is going to be helpful for us to have that constant communication, constant uh, contact with the regulator so that they're aware of where we stand. With the rule and that and where we think there are potential pain points for the implementation of a fiduciary, I'm sorry, financial institution status for our type of business model. Um, so that yeah. open channel basically just kind of helps so that they know we're
1: working on it and also maybe having trouble in certain areas so that maybe we can get a little flexibility from them if they see that that's common amongst the the FMOs looking to become
0: financial institutions and. Exactly. If you don't ask, you're not going to get what you want. Right. 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 So. <laughs> and so that's why we feel we've developed a very good rapport with uh, you know those powers that be at the Department of Labor that are uh, you know helping to create and, and modify this rule uh, so that we can have financial institution status.
1: That's not a very big number that have applied. It sounds like it's a fairly select group that's even attempting to, to do well, that in the FMO space? Is uh, that right? Actually,
0: no. The the number, I got all the way up to 20, okay. and what happened was the Department of Labor said, we have enough applications. We are going to grant some type of relie- relief. We don't know what that's going to look like yet, and what track they're going to go down to grant that relief, whether that's going to be an independent exemption that can then be followed by everybody else, or whether that's going to be a class exemption that'd be followed by everybody or whether or not it's going to be a modification to the existing rule adding our type of business model as a f- uh, financial institution right back into the rule.
1: So DOL hasn't really even figured out how they want to actually allow FMOs to become financial institutions. That's
0: kind of the issue. As of this interview, yeah. okay, that's uh, kind of it's
1: my understanding that they haven't. Okay, so that's why that they sort of put the brakes on at 20 because they're kind
0: of still figuring out how they're going to do it. Which is another reason I believe there's a potential for delay in the rule Um, if they're going to allow our business to be a financial institution and they won't tell us exactly what those requirements are it's only fair and I, I believe they feel this way to delay the implementation so we can become compliant right And you can't just delay it for one group of financial institutions. It's more likely that you would delay it in general for all types of financial institutions. So there's a good chance that that could be part of this implementation. Okay. Not that that's been said by any regulator, but it it, it seems logical.
1: Right, right. Makes sense. Uh, Well, um, obviously, uh,
0: my emphasis is... Did you have something else you wanted to add, or...? Oh, I just wanted to say that we also continue to work through the compensation portion of it okay. with our, with all of our constituents, all of our. We are working uh, tirelessly. We have a, a minimum of two phone calls per week with uh, all of our carrier relationships to talk for them to tell us information about what they're hearing in the industry about what the compensation should look like and how that should be structured, Okay. as well as us giving them advice. And that's the reasonable compensation portion? That's the the reasonable compensation portion of that, which has to be based on neutral factors for the compensation portion to the agent. Okay, so the requirement is that the The products are levelized compensation to the agent and you can categorize the products based on things like the complexity of the product itself. The amount of time it takes to sell it, to explain it, is uh, part and parcel of the reasonable standard. The true standard is dependent on what the market allows for the payment of that particular product.
1: Okay, so some of it will be what's been done in the past and what the, mar- what the established rates for a particular category of annuity. So they may not
0: have drastic changes in comp, but... We don't anticipate a drastic changes in comp, however, it's a basic chicken and egg problem that you have. At some point, somebody has to be a first mover to say, this is the types of categories that we're talking about, and this is what we believe to be the reasonable compensation. Whether that's a carrier or a large distribution partner of a carrier, we don't know yet. Okay. And we're still, that's part of our wait and see. And why we have so many phone calls and, and have spent so much diligence and time on this effort. Sounds like
1: every aspect of this still has lots of wait and see going on. right? <laughs> no matter which piece of it we were,
0: we're looking at, it's just there's a lot of uncertainty still. And that's always going to be the case with some type of implementation of brand new po- regulatory policies and procedures well I
1: um, so as a marketing guy here um, one of the one of the issues obviously in our industry is that we want to have marketing that's effective and balance that with compliance and so there's always this little you know clash between Uh, edgy marketing and doing it the way it should be done so that nobody gets in trouble Um, what what would you say uh, you know how do we strike that balance between marketing and compliance um, you know for agents in the field because a lot of them you know they're relying on us for that compliance guidance so um, what's your philosophy on that or how do you help you know strike that balance between effective marketing and, and compliance which In
0: marketing, we often call the, uh, you know, the marketing killers. (laughs) And I have uh, heard that. I'm hoping that I'm a little bit more uh, on the side of business than you would uh, find for other uh, compliance-oriented attorneys. Um, But ultimately, it's an art, not a science. Yeah. Uh, We don't, we work in a lot of gray and have to be uh, accepting of, uh, you know, a certain amount of flair and puffery in marketing materials. That yep. said, the biggest killer is the totality of the circumstances that a piece is ultimately misleading. Okay. And so, uh, for that, it, it's it's normally under explaining, you know, the negatives of a product, mm-hmm. over uh, explaining, or or you know, misunderstanding. Uh, You know, the positives of a product, uh, that type of thing, is most often what I see. Um, And then, in general, insurance product advertising really needs to show that it's about an insurance product advertisement. And some states even have that exact requirement and the exact language that needs to be on a business card. Somehow
1: disclosing it's insurance, not an investment or some other kind of know, more uh, amorphous marketing where you—it's not clear what it is you're getting.
0: Right, what. Uh, and, and the, so one, the standard issue there is a lot of uh, for, uh, maybe a direct mailer that's uh, based on a seminar where it doesn't explain that the seminar is about about annuities or
1: life insurance. Okay. Exactly. Got it. Um, so, uh, I guess in navigating this marketing, I. Uh, rather than having an agent maybe do something about a product, uh, can they market concepts a little bit more freely than a product? I mean, I would assume that the product has pretty strict regulations where a concept they can promote, even though ultimately there may be a product attached to that, you know, to implement it. The concept itself might be something that appeals to to uh, a target market. Um, I guess maybe talk a little bit about the distinction of if if there is any between promoting a concept that that, uh, an agent might be or advisor might be wanting to
0: use versus a specific product. Well, everything is facts and circumstances in all advertising and then also you have to take into consideration what are your state's guidelines on the advertisement itself. And that goes by the state in which you're doing the solicitation. Okay um, and so some states are very rigorous about it, if you have the concept but the ultimate concept is to sell an insurance product, it has to be very clear somewhere somewhere in the advertisement that an insurance product sale will is, occur is happening here is, that it'll be presented at least or something. that yeah that type of thing okay but Again, uh, you know we are dealing in 50 different, states, states yeah. 50 different sets of rules uh, for advertising 50 different sets of interpretations of those rules through the the courts and arbitration systems and that type of thing so um, you know.
1: Plus we also have the Federal Trade Commission and have the federal regulation uh, that, 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 that may that's also that's spill right. over.
0: Yes. All, all types of advertising requ- uh, rules that are applicable to all forms of advertisement.
1: Okay. So it's a tough thing. So if somebody is looking to do any kind of marketing, do we, does ECA intend to have a process to review agent um, campaigns or marketing? Or is it something that, um, you know, if an agent says, hey, I want to do an email campaign or direct mail campaign on this, and I wrote this letter, uh, is that something that ECA is going to have as a uh, service where you would take a
0: look at it and say yes or no, or here's a problem and fix that? <laughs> right now, we don't have it as okay. an actual service. Okay. Uh, on a case-by-case basis, depending on the nature of the relationship with the agent or the, you know, the office, okay. uh, we are happy to take a look to give general guidance, guidance on their website or other large-scale uh, types of advertisements that they're going to do. If, a, if an agent wants to go the route of if, you know, having a, a radio commercial or television commercial, something of that type of size, you know, we're happy to help look at that prior to putting out that material and having a p- compliance problem down the road. Down the road,
1: okay. So uh, obviously I know you're kind of mired in DOL compliance at this point, but, but was just curious if that was ever gonna be a piece of the puzzle and maybe down the road or even
0: uh, Yes, so formal. The requirement to comply with the best interest contract exemption Is that the financial institution ensure that during at any time during the sale no advertisement or discussion with the client was in any way shape or form misleading it's written right into the rule okay as such although there's not a specific rule written into the best interest contracting exemption saying that you have to review marketing materials by the financial institution the likely outcome from that, the only way you could possibly uh, comply with that type of a rule would be to have some type of system in place to review and approve advertising. We don't know another way around it at this point. We are still looking at uh, and talking with a lot of different uh, compliance groups, roundtables, that type of thing, to look to see if there's another way uh, to do that uh, and feel comfortable with that portion of the fiduciary rules.
1: So that's another another change in the way marketing is being done for in the field is that agents are probably going to have a little extra compliance on what their sales and marketing materials look like and how they're presenting their concepts and products to people. Um, In the past I think a lot of agents if they were promoting a particular product might be able to rely on a carrier's compliance department to help with some of that I suspect that will probably still be the case, but we're going to have an extra layer since more than likely we'll be the financial institution on the hook that um, and have some liability there, so we're going to want to make sure that we take a look at it and also prove that we were, you know, reviewing it.
0: Exactly. Right now, as we have discussed it internally, the review of marketing would be on major initiatives, okay. business card website, those things that are most often used as part and parcel of the solicitation process.
1: Okay, okay, good. So that's another piece in the works. Um, So this brings up uh, kind of the next natural question, which is what are the most common areas of compliance that you've seen agents kind of run afoul of regulators and any of these, uh, either
0: state or potentially federal regulations? There's actually five different areas that come up consistently in insurance sales. Okay, uh, great. Uh, the first is the, this concept of gifting or rebating. They, okay. Some, some call it gifting, some call it rebating, some call it product tying. Uh, the states have different uh, nomenclature that they use for that. But ultimately, it's the uh, you know gift to a client, you know, whether that's a monetary gift, or a trip dinner to the seminar. Vikings game, or a dinner seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be very aware of the state that you're working in and what those, how much and in what what, sh- form. what form these types of gifts can be given. The biggest case, uh, the most recent case is the North Dakota case where an agent uh, took 50 of his clients, pre-existing clients with insurance policies already in force, brought them to a Vikings game that was partially paid for uh, by an outside vendor. Mm. What the court did in that case uh, through the Insurance Commission was to evaluate the portion paid by the agent, divide that by the number of customers there, and then come up with the dollar figure of how much he contributed, subtract away the $50 that was allowable in the case, and after. The residual was the part that then was considered a violation of the gifting policy, mm-hmm. of the gifting law. So even that, that was a his personal gift. It was a third party giving. Oh no! So the right. third party paid portion of it, yeah. and the agent paid, paid the rest. Okay, so that was they the, only evaluated the his portion, portion, portion. Got it. Got in it. this case, but what's important to understand about this case is that in in that particular case. Every single gift was considered an individual violation by the agent. So he didn't have one gifting. Yeah, all fifty. But he had all for all fifty clients, and, wow. and uh, I want to say it was around fifty. It might have been forty-seven, but that's how they came. Uh, they did the actual math. Subtracted that away to make that determination and then charged them with all of them. So
1: a lot of people might be thinking, you know, this is like a client appreciation event. I'm not soliciting new clients here. These are people that are already, people I've been working with and I've already sold stuff to and this is just a thank you event. Exactly. It it seemed like it might be
0: acceptable, but uh, clearly there was a problem there. Exactly. It was exactly how, uh, that set of facts was exactly what happened. It wasn't trying to, I'll give you this money to buy buy this product, uh, which is the most, you know, what you think of when you think of rebating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, It was clear, I'm bringing you to a Viking Zine because you're a pre existing client. I love it. Continue to be my client. Yeah. And that's all it took. Wow. So,
1: yeah. And so what were the ramifications? I mean, do we know what the outcome was with that type of a situation? So did they have to pay a fine? Did they lose yeah. their license? So the fine,
0: uh, the fine uh, was dependent, it was for all. For all, each? For each violation. Right. And as you can see, was substantial. Substantial. Yeah, yeah. So, so um,
1: anything else on the list? Yeah. The final
0: one is a, a newer concept, that, but I continue to see more and more information about it, and that is securing and reporting lost client data. Uh, this most often happens with that laptop that goes missing or mm-hmm. the stolen um, server uh, types of ways that it normally client data gets.
1: Well, these days you have cell phones with email, and so even a last cell phone could be a, a
0: risk, a exactly. Data breach. Exactly. Okay. And, and if you have the data breached, reporting requirements in almost all states are immediate, and there's going to be a statute involved that it says exactly who needs to be contacted and in what context, and uh, what the remediation will be. In most cases you have to buy insurance on the data so that uh, person is life-locked, uh, you know, and has protection for the next uh, one or two years.
1: So that's, that's a whole new area for a lot of folks. I'm sure they haven't really thought about it. Well, how the heck do I secure my client's data since everything has become much more electronic today than physical papers in a file cabinet somewhere, which was a little easier to secure, I suppose. Exactly. Um, now we've got a whole new matrix of problems and trying to figure out how to secure your digital stuff. And it's proliferating too, because now you might have it on multiple devices and exactly. Okay, great. Well, that's, those are great areas to think about. I'm sure, uh, you know, some of those I haven't ever thought about, certainly that data security one. Um, uh, some of the others I've, uh, you know, obviously we, the first one you brought up, I think most of us knew about it, but didn't know how, tr- how touchy it might be. So, um, so obviously if somebody does run into trouble uh, within one of these five areas, uh, what's the best course of action for somebody to successfully resolve this?
0: So it really depends on the nature of the issue. Uh, that's kind of, it's really open-ended. It depends on what, you know, how they've been contacted about the issue. Is, it, is there a regulator involved or not uh, for the contact, is the carrier Uh, contacting you know are we contacting okay Um, the the best thing is to not be defensive when the issue comes up Uh, to work with you know the partners that you've built up over time to you know help um, resolve the issue as quickly as possible transparency in most cases is better than uh, trying to you know cover an issue. Because uh, that's only going to exacerbate uh, a already potential issue that you have.
1: Well, it sounds like the five the the list of five things that you have uh, that more often than not, I would guess, the majority of the producers out there are. Running into these issues just because of ignorance of how to comply and not so much that they have a malicious intent Although I'm sure some of those are out there. It's more that they just didn't realize what they were doing was a
0: problem It's almost always the oh. issue okay. um, th- again The the list of insurance laws at in any given state can literally be pages long and they're <laughs> statutorily written right uh, not and so I think that each state is doing its best to protect you know consumers uh, but in doing that sometimes it can be very difficult to weed through all the legal requirements uh, that insurance agent has to deal with
1: right having to decipher the statute and figure out what does that mean for me to comply is not always an easy translation for most so exactly without you know having gone to law
0: school (laughs) exactly so um, you know depending on the uniqueness of the situation and. it's always best to consult with a professional in the industry. Your consumers are coming to you uh, as the uh, agent to help them with a, a complex product purchase. And, uh, you know, it's no different than if you have a legal or a potential regulatory issue, you want to work with the right uh, type of qualified professional. And it's no, almost always best to get uh, a professional that deals uh, that has experience and deals specifically in your jurisdiction. Okay, great so
1: um, I think we're we're about 35 minutes into our podcast here today So I'm going to take just a quick break so we can get a little uh, Sponsorship here from ECA and and I uh, will continue with uh, on the other side here. So
0: Are you independent? Be a part of the cutting edge in fixed life and annuity marketing for the independent agent and advisor. Discover the ECA Advantage where you'll find the marketing systems, training, products, compensation, and expert support you need to take your business to the next level. Sign up for your free ECA agent account to get access to ECA's Knowledge is Power 2016 Keynote Speaker Video Series. For more information, call ECA Marketing today at 800-356-4189 and ask for your marketer or visit ecamarketing.com.
1: Okay, welcome back to Quantum Marketing Radio. Uh, we're speaking with Mark I, our uh, Chief Compliance Officer and General Counsel at ECA Marketing. We're talking about uh, you know, how compliance affects marketing and what's going on in the industry. Obviously, the news uh, that's timely right now is that we've just had an election and a new president coming in to play here in a few months. Um, what's the outlook for the uh, DOL fiduciary rule in the new Trump administration so far? I mean what are you
0: hearing and um, what are your thoughts on it? So there is a lot of media speculation on both sides uh, of this issue. Uh, one side very adamant uh, outspoken about all the things that a Trump administration can do to the rule. And another side saying, hey, this rule was meant for, you know, ultimately for consumers and we need to keep the rule. And uh, explaining all of the potential issues with uh, delay modification or uh, completely killing the rule. Uh, all of it is speculation at this point. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going. He's to not happen. even in office, obviously. So <laughs> he's still just waiting to be, you know, put into power. He's not in office, and other than some of his one particular outspoken member of his administration, Trump has never actually even mentioned the rule at okay. one time. Uh, and, but that's not to say that he's not going to take some action quickly because he does have those arrows in his quiver to do something very quickly through an executive order.
1: I think some agents are out there under the impression that, okay, Trump's in, this thing is over, so that's not at all the case, though.
0: Not at all the case, and not at all what any any of the industry is doing. None of our carrier relationships are stopping. None of our competitors are stopping. The industry is continuing down the path uh, for implementation on April 10th
1: okay so although things could change again it's still another new uh uh unpredictable variable that's now come into this whole dol process um the plan is still move forward
0: as if anything as if everything is still on track right and i should say this though logically the most logical outcome is that a delay of some kind will come whether that comes directly from something done by the Trump administration or our our congressional movement uh, or comes from the Department of Labor itself saying, hey, you know, we've heard enough uh, uh, of this particular issue being problematic for implementation, let's talk about implementation down the road. I think it's just at some point, because of the complexity with compliance, something's going to happen and it's very logical and most people believe that there'll be some form of delay.
1: This was a pretty hefty size uh, regulatory um, segment, wasn't it like over a thousand pages or nearly a thousand pages or
0: uh, I mean that seems like a any type of new regulation is going to be have some heft to it. The yeah. ultimate regulation itself is much smaller. And it was only a, a few pages long, depending on the font size you used to <laughs> print that off, I guess. Yeah. Um, but they have to explain the process that they went through. They have to explain uh, all the different types of letters that they received. They have to explain how they're in compliance with the Paper Reduction Act. There's uh, many of the pages dedicated to uh, things other than the rule itself. So the actual rule is not that long. But okay. the... A lot of guidance that went along with the rule to help explain each line item of the rule uh, did take up you know quite a Great. volume, and that's good that they did the best that they could to help try to explain where they were How coming they from yeah. uh, with each different portion of the rule.
1: So we're uh, we're getting close to the end. Um, I have a lot of, lot of other questions for you, but I think we're going to just kind of close with um, you know if the. DOL fiduciary rule is delayed or stopped, what other issues do you see on the compliance horizon? So, you know, if, if you know, to a lot of producers, the best case scenario is it's delayed or stopped. Um, But obviously that's not the end of the compliance uh, concerns. So what other things might be on the horizon if in the event this is delayed or stopped?
0: So if it's delayed or stopped, we still will see some form of fiduciary rule come out, whether that's from a completely different agency like the SEC, okay, uh, and, and impacting all forms of securities products, uh, that's what is a likely outcome from a delay or a stop. That said, I mentioned securities products, not insurance products. Okay, I believe that one of the easiest and low-hanging fruit of this whole uh, set of fiduciary rules is the fact that they segregated out fixed index annuities, which is an insurance product in a completely different business model Mm -hmm. uh, from securities. And I believe that if the rules delayed later stopped, the impact on those particular products will be basically taken away.
1: Okay. So that would be good news for a lot of our insurance only, uh, Agents out there, especially, and obviously anybody that sells these products. So yeah,
0: it just seems logical. But again, we don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. Who knows? Yeah. Um, some other issues because this rule did come out and shed some light on certain types of conflicts of interest, from how mutual funds are sold to uh, the, the you know problematic fees inside four hundred one ks. Uh, to, you know, the extra types of undisclosed compensations and and, uh, the sale of uh, insurance products, I believe that suitability itself, at a minimum, will continue to have an impact. It'll be um, even more robust than it has been in the past. Um, One thing that came out with the, the question and answers from the Department of Labor was a a change to what needs to be collected with regards to suitability. We always know that in a replacement of a product we're gonna be collecting a lot more uh, data. Mm -hmm. And they basically see a 401k uh, being taken that the agent should understand and know what the fees are with the 401k. Previously that's not something that had to be collected but I believe that at some point Um, states are going to pick up on that and start making that a a data element that has to be collected.
1: So there may be just you know another layer of additional due diligence on their part when working with a client in other areas now you know even if this doesn't uh, end up being implemented uh, there's very likely other channels of new uh, additional regulatory burden coming on.
0: Right Um, if you really look at it uh, IMO and insurance agent compliance is really still somewhat in its infancy, maybe in toddler toddler status. Okay. Um, and when you have, and this has been mentioned before, but when you have fifty different regulators, fifty different court systems doing interpretation, rules are ever changing and evolving. And when you look at the, you know, national federal level. Types of rules that are an overlay on top of that that shed light on issues that can come up when you have 50 different regulators, um, you, you got to expect change and likely more compliance around these kind of products and product sales.
1: Has the NAIC, you know, kind of helped to make that a little bit more consistent across different states, or is it still pretty different from state to state?
0: The NAIC. Really helped with making the like the suitability rules are a great example, making that much more of a national implementation. But there are still states that decided there were to, holdouts. Yeah, <laughs> to, they were either holdouts or decided to not implement the NAIC model uh, suitability rule. Yeah. and have their own set of suitability. Yeah. Uh, states where a large number of retirees are are the places where I've seen the most resi- resistance to the Model Act. Okay. And so like are Florida they, are has they their making, own forms.
1: Are they making their rules more difficult or are they just because they feel like they wanted to have a different standard than the NEIC provided or were they more on the other end, more lenient?
0: Uh, it, I wouldn't put it in the category of more lenient. I would say that they wanted to collect more data and they wanted to collect it in a certain way that they felt was most user friendly to okay the consumer got it and whenever you have differences in rules from a model act you're going to have different interpretations and different policies and procedures required for each different jurisdiction which you know adds costs
1: right right well, um, the, the uh, complex world of compliance, obviously, is going to be something that you' will we'll always need uh, help with navigating, and our agents are obviously always going to need assistance with. So it's good to have you as a resource for them, and thanks for sharing uh, your insights on the industry and the changes that are going on right now. I'm sure most of the advisors out there uh, look forward to uh, your future updates. So thanks again, Mark, for being on the podcast.
0: Great. Thank you for having me. All right.
1: Well, everyone, uh, tune in next month. We'll have uh, another new exciting guest for you and uh, talk about marketing. So have a great month.
0: Thank you for downloading our podcast. Find out more about the Quantum Marketing System at quantummarketingsystem.com.